You know where you sit is important? Um, I've heard this. I don't know if it's true. They told me, whoever they is. But uh, have you ever heard of the learning tea before? You heard of the learning tea? This is what they say. They say those people that sit in the front row and down the center aisles are statistically proven to have higher grades in classrooms. It's called the learning tea right here. The middle and the front. So I'm just saying, if you want to do better in school, sit in the front or in the middle, and you'll do better. It's statistically proven. Now, now obviously, it has nothing to do with, like, you know, it's the idea that if you're actually engaged and interested, you're going to find the seat that's closer and more in line with the teacher and what's going on. Nothing against y'all in the corners. I mean, it's, it's all good. I'm just saying, like, tune in in your, tune in in your heart, okay? But there, there's something about where you sit in life and where you choose to sit in life and where you find yourself that says something about who you think you are, says something about the authority that you think you have or don't have, or something very important about where you sit. I've told this story before, but it's poignant, so I'm going to tell it again. I had the privilege of working for a few years uh, with the National Prayer Breakfast in D.C. It happens every year uh, at the Washington Hilton. It, it's, the, it's a prayer meeting that the president has gone to every year since Eisenhower. And so uh, my job at the National Prayer Breakfast was, amongst a few things, was to sit in this little minivan at the end of the gathering, waiting outside, and if any of the senators or congressmen missed the bus going back to the hill, then they were going to radio me in, and I was going to pull around in my little minivan to the front of the hotel, I was going to pick up these senators and congressmen, and I was going to drive them back to Capitol Hill, a a place that I had no idea how to get to other than, you know, thank the Lord for my GPS, because I knew nothing about the city. And so here I am sitting in the sitting in the, the little minivan waiting, and, and, and I, get, I get the call. Hey, three guys, they missed the bus, they're chit-chatting or whatever, come around, drive them to the hill. So I do this, I go around, I pick them up. I'm pretty nervous because these, these are like big wigs, you know, political guys. I, I'm just like, okay, trying to do everything correctly, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, t- 10 and 2, you know what I'm saying? Like, I gotta do this thing right. Like, these guys made the laws, you know? And, uh, and I don't even know where I'm going, so I'm just staring at this GPS, and I'm just trying not to break any rules, you know? And this is a true story. This is what happens. Pull up to a red light, you know, stop, good enough distance in front of the car in front of me, just, you know, all the rules. And the guy in the back says this to me. Hey, son, I know that it's red, but just go ahead and go through it because we've got a vote on the hill. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, we have no laws when, when we're in session. There's no driving laws for us. So just go ahead and go. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is like every boy's dream. Like, you're giving me license? Like, the dudes that write, that write the laws, which, isn't it funny how they write laws that benefit them? And not, anyway, so I get, hey, 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 Mr. Senator, you have to tell me twice. Like, I'm, I'm on it, right? I'm going. This minivan has never seen such speeds. It was amazing. It was, it was one of the best days of my life, aside from my wedding day. I mean, it was just awesome. So I, I, kid, I kid you not, through the streets of Washington, D.C., I'm like passing people off around double lines and going through red lights, and I'm, I'm just having fun. And then we get up to the base of the hill. It's called Capitol Hill for a reason. It is on a hill. And, and there's, a, there's a police officer parked right there on the corner, and sure enough, it's a red light. And going all the way, and this is a true, this is a true story. 
I'm not making this up. There are cars, bumper to bumper cars going up both lanes up to the hill on this side, but the two, the two oncoming lanes were totally empty. And those, so the, the guys in the back, they said, just floor it. And I was like, all right, okay. So I go, I blast through the red light right in front of the cop, like just flying by him. He, he doesn't even pull out, nothing. Like he probably just knows this is what happens. I blast through the red light. I go into oncoming, the two oncoming lanes and I just floored up this hill and I pull into the cap, uh, into the, um, yeah, the building, whatever it's called. I pull in right as these cars were coming around from their light turning down the road that I was on. I pull in, these dudes hop out, they're like, thank you. And then I'm like, back to normal life. <laughs> you know, like, what just happened? What I didn't realize was the seat that I had in that car had so much authority based on who I was with. There's something about the seat that you sit in, your position based on who you're with that determines your ability. So today, what we need to talk about before we get into your ability and what you're going to do with your ability and how you're going to walk it out and how you're going to drive and what you're going to do in life, which is next week. We need to firmly establish where it is that you sit. Who it is that you really are in position with Christ. Okay? Now, we live in America and we love to do things. We love to just get her done. We love to work hard. Well, some of us like to work hard. Some of us are lazy. I'm not talking about the millennials, by the way. But I'm just saying, <laughs> hey, I'm on two. I'm on two. Still am. Hey, but we like, to, we like to do stuff, you know? I mean, like, like, I can't stand just sitting around. My wife is like, dude, you need to learn how to relax. And I'm like, I don't like to relax. My legs are always moving. I just want to do stuff. I just want to move. I just want to, you know? But this is very important. Unless we learn to sit, our walking and our standing is going to be in vain. Unless you learn to sit first, you cannot walk. Unless you know who you are, your position in Christ, everything that you attempt to do, you're going to burn out. And so tonight, I want to teach on sitting. Now, I'm going to give you the option here. Uh, I think sometimes preachers say, hey, is it okay if I, and then we just do whatever we want to do anyway, you know what I'm saying? I want to give you, I want to get, I want to legitimately give you the option I want to, I'm going to teach either way, uh, but if you give me the permission, uh, we're going to take a little bit more time and we're going to read quite a bit of the scripture, or I can just tell you what I was going to tell you, and we're not going to read the scripture. Raise your hand if you want me to read the scripture. Perfect. I was really hoping you'd say that because I actually didn't plan for the other way around, <laughs> but I really was going to give you the option. I was just going to switch it up. So this is what we're going to do. In order for us to fully understand Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6, and the, the spirit and the meaning of sitting, I, I just think we should read all the way through chapter 1, all the way through into chapter 2. Is that cool? So I hope that you have a Bible in front of you. If you don't, you're going to see it right here with me. But we're going we're gonna to read through this together. And what I, wanna, what, I, what I want you to really notice as we jump into this is a few things. I want you to notice the heavenly reality that this scripture is describing that you and I have, 
the heavenly spiritual reality and how it applies to our physical earthly reality, okay? There's two things that are going on with you at all times. One is heavenly and spiritual and one is earthly and physical and the two are very related even more than most people think. Okay, and what you're going to notice is all throughout uh, this book and all throughout this sermon series is that the author, Paul, is almost making this argument that the heavenly or spiritual reality is as important, if not more important, than the physical reality that you find yourself in. Okay, so I want you to take note of what is said about the heavenly places or the heavenly spiritual realities and how they relate to our earthly reality, the place that we find ourselves in. Specifically, I want you to notice, and the reason we're doing this tonight like this, is because I want you to notice not what is going to happen, not what might happen, not what you're going to do, but I want you to notice what's already been done. Because what we're going to see might be, and I didn't have the time to really research this, I spent a lot of time doing what I did already, but... My guess is that this might be the most dense section of scripture specifically describing what God has already done about your reality. And the last thing that we're going to see is the why, like what it's all about. And I'll just tell you right now, it's not about you, even though he's done a lot for you. It's all about him and his glory. All of this, all of this is about him and his glory. Your salvation is about him and his glory. So here we go. We're going to jump in. This is what it says. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. This is a letter that he's writing to the church, the brothers and sisters in Ephesus. Who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God is blessed before we are blessed. We ought to bless him before we ask him to bless us. Amen. We ought to praise him before we ask him to do anything for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in every spiritual blessing. He has blessed us. This is past tense. Now you're gonna start to see a theme going on here. He has blessed us. This has already taken place, okay? He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the first time that we see this take place. He's not just talking about our physical reality. He's not just saying, hey, I've blessed you and how much money and how much stuff you have right here and right now. He's blessed us with everything that we can need, primarily, in the heavenly places. See, it starts in the heavenly, it starts in the spiritual, and it trickles down to the physical, but the spiritual is more important, okay? So it's already happened, and this is where it's happened, okay? He's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as, watch this, he chose, past tense, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise, watch this, to the praise of his glorious grace. Here we already see all three aspects of what we're going to look at in particular tonight. We're going to see the fact that God has already done some things, and he's done way more than this. We're going to see it. He's already done everything that needs to be done in your life, and he's done it primarily in the heavenly places, and he's done it for one reason, for, for, to the praise of his glory. Okay? 
with which he has, past tense, blessed us in the beloved. Verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, past tense, lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, past tense, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose with which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we, set forth, past tense, in him we have obtained an inheritance. It's already happened. We've obtained it. You have it. You have your inheritance right now. You might not be fully experiencing it right now, but you have it right now. Past tense. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be, we see it, number two, to the praise of his glory. Second time, to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You see, you already have the inheritance. You already have it in the heavenly place. You already own it. And the way that you know that you own it is through the seal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the wedding ring that's tattooed on your heart. It's how you know you belong to him. It's how you know that you're saved. He's sealed what God has already done in you. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Starting to see a theme of what the the writer is trying to get us to understand God has already done some things to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Now, now I really don't have, I wanted to preach this, but I really don't have time to preach this, that of all the things that he's talking about that are past tense that have already happened, this is the one place that he's praying. He's saying, man, my hope is that you would have the, the spirit of wisdom that God will give you something. He's talking about all these things that God has already given you and already done. This is the place that he's saying, I hope and pray that you will have something, specifically that you will have knowledge of what God has already done. You see, the issue is not God doing something in our life. The issue is us grasping on and and taking hold of it through the knowledge and the faith of what he has already done, not begging him to still do something in the future. He's already done it. He's already won the victory. What we need to do is take hold of it, to know it, to understand it, to live in that place of wisdom and understanding, to, to grasp what it is that he's done and to take our seat in the place that he's offered us. And so he's praying for them, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you might know what is the hope to which he, past tense, has already called you. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he, past tense, already worked in Christ, when he, past tense, raised him from the dead, and past tense, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he, past tense, put all things under the feet, under his feet, and gave him as head over all things the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter two, we're almost done, stick with me. And you, say he's talking about me. Yeah, he's talking about you. Don't get offended, but he's talking about you. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in, at the, in work, at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. That's all of us. We all once lived this way. Yeah, you grew up in church. Yeah, you were going to church since you came straight out the womb like I did, but you know what? We all walked in the ways of darkness at one point in time. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. None of us is better than anybody else. We were all in this place at one time. And we were all, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. But God. Oh. Is anybody thankful tonight that we have a but God? Oh, we got, we got a but God. I asked an old person if I could say this. We got a big butt God. He told me it was okay. I said, hey, I'm, I, would, I would preach that at youth, but can I preach that here? He said, preach it. I said, we got a big butt God. You know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, some of you know what I'm saying. No. Some of you don't know what I'm saying. Because you know what? You didn't know that you were down and out. But some of you do. See, some of you know. Some of you don't need to be convinced that you were down and out, but God raised you to life. Some of you don't need to be convinced that you were stuck in addiction and drugs and you had nobody around you at any time, but God, he raised you up and he gave you friends. Some of you know that you were so broke, you couldn't even afford the phone to post that posting that telling people that you're broke is a joke. You didn't even have the phone to post that and let anybody know. You were so broke, you were so down and out, but God, he raised you up and he gave you the wealth that you have. He gave you the home that you have he gave some of you had no relationships because you could not build a relationship because you were you were evil to people you're so mean to people but God he softened your heart in order that you might love people that they might love you back man some of you know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins but God saved you and some of you don't nah. some of you know how good <laughs> I was going to say, some of you know how good God's butt is, and some of you don't. And I said it. Listen, if you don't know, 
if you don't actually grasp where you were and what God saved you from, you'll never honor and respect where he's put you and where he wants to take you. Jesus didn't come to make, like, good people better. Listen, he came to make dead people live. And unless you recognize that you were dead, you cannot be made alive in him. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, past tense, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive, past tense, together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the, for the, seated us for the last time in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look, we need to understand that God has already done everything for us. It's not about what we're going to, we don't start with what we do. We start with what he's already done. You don't clean yourself up, you don't fix yourself, you don't save yourself in order to come to him. You recognize that I'm broken and I'm dead without him. You look to what he's already done on your behalf, you receive it, you sit in that place, and it's from that place that then you can go and do. 20 times in these 29 verses does it reference a past tense verb of something that God has already done for us. 20 times. It's amazing. This is what he's done for us. He's blessed us. He's chosen us. He's predestined us. He's lavished his love upon us. He's made us to understand. He's made us to obtain. He's sealed us. He's loved us. He's made us alive. He's raised us up and he's seated us with Christ. He seated us with Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what he's already done. Do you know what he's done? Do you, do you grasp it? Do you receive it? I want to show you something just because I am teaching tonight, and this is super cool for brainiacs like me. I'm not really a brainiac, but watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, he's speaking about Christ. God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, sit, sit, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. This is what God did in Christ. This is what God did for Christ in chapter 1. And this is what God did in us. Us, when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. You see, everything that God did for Christ in the physical sense, he did for us in the spiritual sense. This is a deep mystery, but it's amazing. There's, this is not coincidence, by the way, that he just happened to write the same things. What he's trying to express to us 
is this deep and amazing reality that, that we need to grasp that what, what God did in his son, he also did in us. That as he was dead in the physical, in the physical sense, he was actually dead. And you and I, we were actually dead in the spiritual place. But God raised him, literally raised Jesus from the dead in the physical, and likewise, he literally raised our spirits from the dead in the spiritual. And then he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly places, and he is right now, past tense, it's already been done, he has seated us along with Christ in the heavenly places. This is something that has already happened, not something that's yet to, have, yet to happen when you get to heaven one day. We need to grasp this. It's extremely important that we realize that there is something called the finished work of Christ and you and I already find ourselves in it. It's finished work. And we're there in the spiritual sense right now. We're oftentimes looking for the things that God is gonna do and we're looking for even an ultimate victory that we're going to find once we pass away from this physical life and we find ourselves inheriting the spiritual life, inheriting eternal life, inheriting the promise of his presence for eternity. But I think that what God is trying to get us to understand that that's going to happen, but you already have his presence and the inheritance that he wants for you right now in the physical earthly sense, not just in the far off spiritual sense. You are already seated with Christ. It's been done. We have, we have to grasp that, that knowledge and let it travel the 18 inches to our heart. Sometimes knowledge gets stuck in our brain. We need it in our brain. Without it, we don't know what to believe, but it needs to go to our heart as well. And it's from that place that we can respond reasonably to God's reality and walk it out. But tonight is not about walking it out. Tonight is about sitting, not walking. Tonight is about sitting, not standing against the evil powers of the spiritual places. Tonight is about sitting. Even though your reality is a place of authority seated in the heavenly places along with Christ, I want to ask you, do you stay there? Do you let all your walking come from a place of sitting? Do your works come from a place of sitting? Do all the things that you strive to accomplish stem from a place of rest. We strive often, don't we? Whether it's in our, you know, physical work, in our homes, you can clean the kitchen, and then if you have kids, like four seconds later, it's filthy again, and you just work and work and work, and the laundry never ends. It's like a constant... And you always need to earn money, and you spend it, and you earn it, and you got to work. And there's just so much to do. And this, 
this work, 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 especially in America, go nonstop, spirit bleeds into our spiritual life. And there's this, there's this catch-22 that we find ourselves in because we want to be a people that give ourselves wholeheartedly. You know, Jesus says, put your hand to the plow and don't look back. If you've been in any church, you know Heart of the City Church works hard. I mean, we just, we do a lot of stuff because we know that people's eternity and destiny is, is valuable. We're gonna lay it all down. We're gonna lay it all down. We're gonna go all out. We're gonna work as hard as we can by God's grace to do his will in this city. But the catch-22 is we have to let all of our work be in response to the place that we continually sit. Because sometimes we can step out of that. And just in case you, you're not really grasping the, the metaphor, sitting is a place of relationship. It's not a place that you're physical, physically sitting and staying. What the scripture is talking about is that what God has given you, the inheritance that God has given you, is primarily a place of relationship with him. You're not cast out of his house. You're not cast out of his kingdom. You're not cast out of the heavenly place. You have a place with him. Secondly, you have an inheritance with him. The Bible even says that we are co-heirs with Christ. That's a, that's a whole other deeply theological matter that I'll let somebody smarter tackle. Co-heirs with Christ. So it's a place of relationship, it's a place of inheritance, and it's a place of identity. Unless you get your identity from him by sitting with him in his presence, everything that you try and walk out is gonna be based on your own flesh, your own desires, your own will, your own pursuits, your own motives, probably for the wrong reasons, and the ends are gonna be just as poor as the motivation. But if you continue to sit with him, let him speak to you your identity, then you can walk it out. Then you can accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. You know, most times, if not every time, we, any of us that preach, we preach, we, we get up here, hopefully give you, you know, God's word and his heart Really, honestly, that's, what, that's my prayer whenever I preach is, God, I, there's a lot of facts and stories and all this that I could tell people. The primary thing that I'm always praying is, God, would you just give me your heart for this people? Like if you were standing in the room today, just delivering this word as a father to some children, what would, the, what would you express to them from your heart? That's, what, that's what my prayer. Um, but we typically will always try and at least give you something to do. You know, we call it a so what, now what? So what, preacher, you told me all this stuff, now what do I do with it? And we wanna do that. We wanna give you something to do because the, the truth is, the reality is that everything that God has done deserves a response. Everything that God has already done leads us to do something. But I feel like of all weeks and of all messages, this particular weekend, I don't wanna give you something to do other than just somewhere to be in his presence. Seth, if you would join me up here.
That's the action. That's the response. Not just right now in this moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting. I'm sitting in church. I'm here with God. I'm here with the family of faith. No, but are you really with him? Are you with him when you wake up on Monday morning? Do you find yourself in the midst of chaos at work on Tuesday, letting your response to people that are yelling at you and and upset customers and Are you letting your response, your action, come from a place of relationship with God? Is that the stem? You're striving and you're working, whether it's in your your home or your business or even in ministry in the church. Does that come from a place of rest? Does it come from a place of, of overflow? If I could put it like that, does everything that you pour out truly come from a place of overflowing? Or is there a sense in you that there's an emptiness in your vessel and you're always, you're trying to pour out, but there's, you're just getting lower and lower and there's nothing there to pour out. You just feel dry, empty. God wants us to be in a place, a position where we're receiving from him And that as we pour out, as we walk, as we do, as we serve, as we whatever it is that we're going to do, it's coming from a place of overflow. It doesn't always mean that you feel wonderful and amazing, that you you feel like you have the most amount of energy or any of those, but it does... There, there's just something different, and, if, and, and you know what I'm talking about if you taste it. There's something different about serving and giving and pouring out from a place of being filled, and there's something about trying to do that from a place of emptiness. And what I want you to grasp tonight, church, is that your reality in eternity and in your faith does not start with what you do. It starts with what God has already done. And we have to continually recognize that and stay in that place in order to be empowered to then go do everything that he wants us to do. Would you stand to your feet? We came up, Seth is gonna sing this song And it's my prayer that for those of you that have been striving, working, pouring out, that even in this moment, that God would bring you back to a place not only of knowledge in your head, but in your heart of your position, your identity, and your inheritance in him.